You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera and everything in between, if you have a piece of hunting gear or a piece of hunting equipment that needs a battery, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. You can go to a local retail store. Or you can go visit online at interstatebatteries.com. They have thousands of local retail shops all over the U.S., so you can go there as well. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys, welcome to Land and Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. We're co-owners of a consulting company called, go figure, Land and Legacy. This is your number one podcast resource for all things land. Each week, we're breaking down topics from land management, habitat management, conservation, farming practices, and real estate. We hope you guys enjoy it. All right, guys. Welcome to another Land and Legacy podcast. Adam here, and uh, no Matt today. Um, so keep your with, keep your applauses keep your applauses down. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, we're actually recording today at my grandparents' house. It's my brother, Chad Keith, and I. Chad, I don't know. This is probably like tenth appearance by now. Yeah. A lot. And uh, so, deer season is officially open now. I'm trying to think back. Uh, try to get through the updates. Um, trying to get to uh, bring it full speed it is uh deer season now but since you last heard from us it's a little bit hard for me to think back because matt and i've been on the road oh gosh for a week we were in ohio last week for qdma deer steward 2 uh wonderful um wonderful event 50 people 15 states represented three canadian provinces um phenomenal educational experience both in the classroom and in the field um, at the Hogan property in southeastern Ohio. Wonderful event. If you get a chance to go, Deer Steward 1, do Deer Steward 1 online. Try to sign up to go to Deer Steward 2 because um, it is such a great, great event. Um, while there, I guess we did some podcasts before that. So last week you guys heard from the guys at Cuddyback Digital, and then you heard Matt and I talk about the onlook, the outlook for this fall. Um, now, our other podcast this week is Greg Godfrey from Tethered, but we're not going to be talking hunting necessarily as much. What has made this podcast so successful is our information on 
habitat land management. This podcast is specific to um, certain regions um, in the United States. There's different types, dolomite or limestone glades. We call them glades here in the Ozarks. Or There's barrens. Or barrens or balds. Basically, Chad, what would you def- how would you define a glade? More shallow soil is a, is very about the, the very. I mean that is the probably the first basic ingredient to it is the yep. shallow soil. Shallow soil grassland is kind of or a grassland component. It's predominated uh, predominantly a grassland type yeah. and ecosystem. It's because the, the the soil is so shallow that the trees generally do not have the ability to grow there. Mm. Yes. I mean, they can't. It, it, and it's generally south and west-facing slopes. Yep. So it's hotter. It's drier. So it's the, the ecosystem doesn't support the trees, generally. And deep-rooted. Yeah. Deep-rooted grasses and forbs do okay. And they were historically maintained by fire. Fire and grazing. And so where the, I know there's glades in Alabama, Mississippi, I even found them in uh, southeastern Iowa. There are a lot of them in southwest and south central Missouri. Um, and this is one thing that a lot of people have, um, I guess, a lot of people have coined the term. And in the last, I don't know, 100 years, probably the last 50 years, but a glade has evolved into cedar glades is what they've been called um and to me i think like if you go back historically in the journals of certainly henry schoolcraft uh, and we're getting somewhere folks i promise you um this is uh, a podcast devoted to understanding your ecosystem and restoring it um because of what we experienced this actually yesterday um but it's taken place over the last year and a half, uh, two years. I mean, we've, we've experienced this. I mean, I did on other places. For sure, when I worked for the Forest Service, and it's in but this it's area. very cool for us because yeah. of some things we found. Um, and so uh, these glades are, you know, they're scattered across the country. It could be dominated by limestone rock or dolomite. Dol- there's dolomite. There's igneous. Yep. There's another one is igneous glades. And so a lot of times I try to paint a picture for you guys, very shallow soil. Like sometimes if you pull up a, a soil map, it may say eight inches to bedrock. Yeah. Top soil is ze- from zero to eight inches or or that's where the soil's at and then it's bedrock. And a lot of it, at least th- this area, they're generally steeper too. It's on the slopes. Yep. And it's a lot of times you'll have those like ledge rocks out out Rock in out them, where they where they just are dropping, and that's where the old mountain boomers, that's yep, they like to hang out on those and sun and overlook the glades. And mountain boomers being the eastern collared lizard, um, if you're not aware with the Ozark slang or the the other nickname they have, the mountain boomers, uh, could be anywhere. I think they like get up to like 16 inches, maybe even a big. little bigger. Um, kind of like a little iguana yeah. is what I'd call them and could be very colorful. 
um, turquoise and yellow the males and orange. Are really, really bright colored. And uh, little bands, uh, little collards, uh, bl- black bands um, around their neck. Very beautiful uh, reptile that is not very common it's anymore because of the loss of glades. Extremely dependent on the glade ecosystems. That's right. That's and right. it's and it's even not so much. Even the broken up glades, it's not good for them. They say they don't they don't travel well at all between where their the timber areas break up the glades. They're dependent upon for genetic diversity. They're dependent upon extensive glades. Yes. Um, so so let's describe some of the things a person may find in a glade, and later on the podcast we'll discuss why glades are a great thing to have on your property um, and how you can utilize them for hunting strategies. So what are some of the main species a person may find in a glade? You're going to see big Depending on the region, is going to depend on what species you find. But in, let's, let's some go of the for ex- the glade that we were at yesterday. Yeah. It's, very, it's very blocked up. It's very cut up. It was in little chunks now because yes. the cedars have encroached on it so bad. And even still, the grasses we saw, big blue, big blue stem, little blue stem, side oats, gamma, yep. switchgrass, Indian grass. Are we missing any? I think I there's think probably, so. I'm sure there was it. broom sedge around maybe a little bit. Yeah. I think and that's I don't, it. I don't know Big if we blue, saw many blue. others, yep. which we didn't look as close. And then there's coneflowers, multiple species of coneflowers. There's black-eyed Susans. There are uh, blazing stars, multiple, multiple species of blazing stars. We saw multiple species of milkweeds. We saw Indian paintbrush in the Indian spring. Indian paintbrush, gum plant, prairie dock, um... A vervain, wasn't it? Yep. Wasn't there a vervain? Rose, rose vervain. Um, obedient plant. And that's just... You saw some of those orchids. Yeah, they were more in the... They were in right some of the, the like... Well, they were in some of the, like, the timber areas. It was a little deeper soil. So, there was one other plant in there that we didn't... The Baldwin's milk vine. Yeah. And it's... And it's from one year to the next, there seems to be more of, of other species. It, it's That's the way the glades a lot of times work. It depends on the rainfalls at certain times. And yeah. It seems like the native plants grow better certain years. So going back to what I was talking about earlier, and I lost my train of thought, but I remembered it. When you listen to the historical journals, Henry Schoolcraft being one, ex- for example, he talks about the vast barrens on the hillsides, on the hilltops. Um, and how they were just pretty much arid grasslands, I think is what he called them. Arid meaning very dry, very hot. And But if you listen to or read his journals, you'll see he does refer to eastern red cedar trees. But it's in these very, very rugged rock outcropping areas where fire couldn't consume those cedar trees which kind of defines or describes some of those glady areas and so it's like ground zero for eastern red cedar pre-settlement or right at the time of first settlement and then once fire was removed from these areas 
ground zero, that's where it starts spreading from. So that's where you have this species that was adapted to these very hot, very dry, very shallow soil There's sites. Very little competition. Very little competition. All of a sudden, now they get a chance to not burn up, and they just explode. And therefore, we have things called glades that are now called cedar glades because well, they're taken over by cedars. Another effect of that is once you have the cedars established, they're starting to shade that soil and there's more moisture. Yep. And you start to see these other hardwood tree species starting to grow in those places Spice that they bush. shouldn't have been there. Yeah. And it's, I mean, to sum up, we talked about all the plants, but the glades are, are one of the most diverse. Oh, we're going to talk about it more, too. One of the more diverse ecosystems you will find. Yes. As far as, and a lot of our, like, threatened and endangered plant species are endemic to those glade areas. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, some of those glade species that we found yesterday are having no prior knowledge to their living there very much at all. Um, because, so, going back 10 years ago, I can think of a couple of areas where it was somewhat open. Mm-hmm but mostly dominated by eastern red cedar. And through a government cost share program, we did cedar tree removal on one acre. And then we did, we went in there and cut on another maybe close acre, to and same. A, acre and a half that area. That didn't qualify. That didn't qualify as glade, even though we look at it and we know it's glade. So we cut the cedars and we cut a lot of other junk on trees. On a really, really really hot, hot day. day yes very hot day and we have now pretty much an open glade with the native chinkapin oak growing scattered around that area and those chinkapin oaks are exactly we talked earlier about the trees that aren't growing that don't do well on that site but chinkapin is one of those that does well on that site and uh so we have pretty much a kind of a scattered mosaic of open areas of grasses and forbs with pockets of chinkapins. Yeah. And that's how, uh, that's how it was historically. Yeah. There were places that didn't burn as hot, that there was a little more, a little like scattered savannah slash woodland. Yep. And it, it's, a lot of times it was the tops of the ridges and places or like off the side where it was the north and east facing slopes a little more. Yep. For sure. And you can, I mean, for those who are wondering, I mean, we're talking about these and talking about you can see them on the maps. If you go to southern Missouri to, say, Ozark County, Taney County. The counties that border Arkansas. And look at it on Google Earth, you will see some areas that have been maintained by the Forest Service by fire. And they've done a lot of contract work in the last 10 years probably on cedar slashing and, and then more prescribed burning. You can see the south-facing slopes and west-facing slopes. You'll see what the glades are. They stand out. Or they could Google glade top trail. Yeah, G-L-A-D-E top trail. Glade top trail, Mark Twain National Forest. You're going to get some ideas of, of glades. You'll see the diversity in plants. The There's... It's pretty amazing country to see. Yeah. So we went in and we cut these cedars last summer. Yes. In July or August. I don't know. It was hot. 
and we cut cedars in a, in a very dominated area of eastern red cedar. And we saw a return of heavy grasses, lots of Indian grass, big blue and little blue, and side oats. In places where you can see the cedar stump, you can yeah. see the cedar stump on a ledge and see where... And we're talking about cedars that were so thick or so dense that there wasn't anything growing underneath them. It was just cedar needles and dirt on the ground underneath them. And now there's grasses. There were coneflowers popping up next to the stumps. That's right. And that's what's awesome. It's to think. And these aren't just your pale purple coneflower, purple coneflower, but Ozark coneflower, the yellow one. Yeah. Echinacea. And uh, very incredible to see. Some of the other and species. Was, I guess the, you should say, too, this is with zero fire. Zero. We haven't we returned have fire to even burn that off yet. Rattlesnake masters everywhere. Yeah. Go through. Purple prairie clover. Yeah. list goes on and on. But we saw a couple of species that have us very excited. One of those being? World milkweed. Yep. That you guys discussed earlier when I told you I'd found it. Horrible. Yeah, whirled, whirled. <laughs> not world. He didn't travel. It's not like he traveled the world. Um, it's whirled. It's a pretty small little plant. I mean, these were taller, but the the leaves are really narrow, little little white bloom. Yeah. Did you uh, have you ever noticed the world milkweed that's out at the parking spot to go to Kingsville food plot? No. Yeah, I uh, we pulled up one day. It's all crooked. Some we hmm. parked on it in the past, or it's crooked <laughs> anyway. Once I saw it, it was blooming. It's like back that up, back the back the UTV up, get it off the world milkweed. I don't think it ever made a seed pod. That was the one I found at Fiasco. Was the same way. You know, I found it last year. Yes. And I haven't. I didn't find it this year. But needs more sun. Yeah. I think it's a lot like. I mean. Let's go back a few podcasts when we had Dr. Craig Harper from the University of Tennessee on talking about the difference of thinned oaks, crop tree release on certain oaks and making more acorns because they have less competition. I bet I bet you could find similar things with shrubs, with plants, yeah. whatever it is. It's like, oh, if it's really, really crowded, um, it's, the same it's with not going to make... It's not Our thoughts make is, as we walked around yesterday, and and I'd I'd been in there, what was it, three or four weeks ago when yeah. I walked in there, and I I sent you some pictures and was like, uh, you need to see this that we cut out because it looks amazing. There's blazing star everywhere. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the main blazing stars is rough blazing star, and the other one is cylindrical cylindrical blazing star which is one of those that i had never even heard of it until you sent me pictures and you're like this i think it's called cylindrical I'm like never seen it don't know what it is yeah and I'm it naturalist. was everywhere yeah i didn't even realize it was there that to that extent until we went in there yesterday and we started really looking it was it was all over the place everywhere and i mean everywhere um uh a blazing star that's not that common. You don't see it very much. Um, and it's uh, something that is very exciting for us. Yeah. Well, anytime. And that's, it was one of those that it reinforces. I mean, we we spent a day, and it was so hot that day, I remember, that we took one chainsaw and we took turns because it was so hot. Yeah. But we 
I can't remember what got us all excited to go in there and cut that day. But we cut that, and now so it's We didn't like, have anything else to do. It's like, all right, we need to cut this whole thing off and start burning because we don't know what else may pop up. You know, I was when I got home last night, I was thinking about yesterday. I, I was thinking about the day. I had more fun going around and looking at the glade and looking it over than I would have had sitting in the tree stand hot and not seeing a deer. Oh, yeah. And I think that's why. Okay, quick question. Do you feel like this passion of plants and restoration, forestry management comes from a way to enjoy land because the hunting is poor? Or do you feel like it's a it's a evolving into a more big picture mindset and understanding how things work? I don't think it's I definitely don't think it's because the hunting was poor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys. I think you guys some people say that to, to me. Yet they they'll say and say, oh, they'll tell you is like, oh, we only do that because the hunting's poor. If you were somewhere in Iowa or whatever, you wouldn't care about plants. I don't think that's true. But at the same time, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would be as into plants if I grew up chasing 200 inch deer. Who knows? Yeah. There's uh, no telling. I mean, you. That's one of those things. There's a lot of a lot of things that you can you can kind of uh, I guess assume assume on on your past how you would how would you would react, but you really don't know. You I don't mean, know if you grew up ten years ten years later. Would you even be that interested in the outdoors? Would I, I be mean, even interested in, in helping quail at all? Who knows? Because you wouldn't have ever. I mean, I got to experience them quite a bit more than you did. Yeah, but. It's still, I mean, if you didn't even experience them at all, what would you? So here's the question. Um, we've got cylindrical. You found obedient plant or we found obedient plant. bunch of other plants that are, I haven't seen before until that glade. And that glade, how big do you think that ridge is? Probably no more than. 20 acres? No more than 20 acres. And we've only cut on about two acres. Yeah. Think about the amount of impact we've done. Now, you may say that's that's a little bit of, you know, we didn't do a lot. But once again, it's like how many people have two two-acre food plots, like, on their place. Like, and they feel like that's a big attraction. We did. We've got two acres cut out. Well. And we need to cut about 20 more. So Here's another thing to throw it back to the deer. On the upper side, where there weren't as many cedars that had fallen down. Yeah. How much of that Blazing Star was browsed by deer? Oh, tons. Tons. I mean, tons of it. And there's, yeah. there were a lot of other plants that were browsed. Yes. And that was just at this one time period of the year. That's the thing with a lot of these glades, is they have species that are growing. I mean, when we were there, and what time were we there when the Indian paintbrush was growing? Turkey season. It was early May. I mean, that's the the glades have that whole... There's Seasonal something change. always blooming or growing. And and you'll go in there this winter, and if you look hard enough, you'll find places where you'll find plants that are still green. Yeah. Well, and the, the other side of it is, too, you looked at that. The last time I was in there, you, you I saw it, but we, I didn't see you this time, but there were deer beds in it. Yeah. 
because it's a lot of those tall grasses. I mean, how tall was that Indian grass that we looked at yesterday? Oh, there was some was of like, it that was like eight foot tall. Indian grass, which yeah. doesn't get this rap for being a, a very no. tall plant. But as far as that three to four foot height, oh, there's. I mean, people, you got people planting whole fields in switchgrass. We didn't do anything. There's switchgrass in it. Yeah. There's little blue, side oats, all of those with these forbs that hold them up. Yeah. Black-eyed Susan. Prairie dock is extremely tall. Yeah. Now it's only really one stem. Um, one that I thought of that we didn't see this time that we've seen in the past is that Missouri evening primrose. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's so many things that grow there. Now, so we talked about it being great deer food. How does this relate to, let's talk about now tying this into hunting strategy and why it's important. So you mentioned something earlier. It's like, how many times do guys go out and take a field and plant it in straight switchgrass? Happens a lot. This is an area that, we're never going to grow a lot of trees for timber harvest. We're never going to grow row crops there. We're never going to be able to plant a food plot there, even though some guys are going to try like heck to, to plant glaze in a food plot. Stuff. Just because it's flat doesn't mean we're planting it. I mean, that's one of the biggest mistakes a person can make in land management is say, well, it's flat. Let's plant it in a food plot. Especially in this glade country. It's mm-hmm. like the benefits to not just your deer the benefits to all of the other animals along with the deer and the turkey. That's right. All your game species as well. Far, far outweigh that what you could put in there of a food plot. Absolutely. And so, yes, it's not your ideal bedding area for summertime bedding because it is warm. It's a south and west facing slope. But... During the fall and winter, it gets real good, mm-hmm. real quick. Because there's, and that's that's part of. I mean, we're talking about all the plants and everything, but that was part of our original. <clears throat> in looking at that, was that's going to be amazing bedding area all through that. That's right, and the great thing, it's only twenty acres. If we cut the whole thing and make the whole thing glade, it's twenty acres. And it's on the end of a ridge. So we have a pretty good idea if they're down there where they're going to come to or where they're how they're coming into it. It's one thing I don't like. I really try to manage around is keeping things under 50-acre units. So you never have something that's over 50 acres of the same whatever, 50 well, acres. Of, the other side It of happens this, in crops all the time or pastures all the time. The other side of this is that you have – we haven't mentioned this yet. Yeah, this is this ridge top. It's dry. It's hot and dry. But how close were we on that thing to the creek? Oh, 50 yards at one point, or 30 yards at one point. There's a permanent stream that runs at the bottom of the hill. There's a spring on the other side that runs, too. Yeah. And And, and I'm expecting that spring to run more based on what our knowledge of grassland restoration. Oh, yeah. And then... The other side of it is, you've talked about Dollhart on the farm as the benefits of hunting these elevator ridges. This glade is an elevator ridge. An elevator ridge that feeds up to a big ridge that has a big food plot right there at the top. And before before the food plot was there, this was a 
a known funnel on yeah. the north end of this glade anyway. We knew it was a funnel, and it was, it just wasn't, our deer movement was so sporadic that it was tough to line it up. Now we've logged on the north side in that timber. We've got a food plot on the north on the top of the next ridge. It's it's setting up it's to setting be up really real well. nice, Clark, <laughs> real nice. Um, Especially in the winter if you have you have the food plot really good. You have uh, you have the big bedding area in the glade, mm-hmm. and then you have this big funnel where there's a flat. Right in between the two. There's a big drain to both directions where the deer are kind of funneling around them. It, it's setting up it's really setting well. Up real well. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that's like, how many times have we talked about on the podcast, closed canopy forest, closed canopy forest to crop field or food plot. It's hard to pattern deer in that type of landscape but then you go with clear cut and hopefully now a lot of times timber companies don't go with a three acre clear cut they go with a 30 or 50 that's a lot harder to pattern deer coming and going from a 30 acre clear cut but if it's a two acre clear cut oh buddy you kind of draw a line or a dot on a map and say well that's where they're coming or going and you put that in correlation with a food plot in the same token of going, I know where they're going. Now I know where they're coming. Get in between the two, and it's too easy. Yep. That sounds too easy, but it works. Yeah. It and works for us the last two years, two mornings in a row last year. It works. And this is also. And at the same time, sorry to cut you off. That's why I haven't even got to the passion side of it. It works for the hunting side. But it works way better from the land native species side. And that's that's what I was getting ready to say too. Was we've we've done woodland restoration in the timber, and we're getting ready to do a glade restoration. So we've done benefit to the land as well as our hunting. That's right. And it's right. not involving any kind of planting stuff or anything like that. Oh, we're so doing this cutting trees. Win, win. Yes, cut trees and burn. Cut trees and burn. Because once we open it up, what was once closed canopy cedar thicket or closed canopy forest is now highly productive glade. And so we've got grasses and forbs and some shrubs scattered around in amongst scattered chinkapin oaks, which will probably make way more acorns out there in the middle of all that. And it's just setting up to be a phenomenal spot on the Prairie Hollow property. I think this is something, though, I want people to know. I get more excited about that than killing a deer. Oh, yeah. Because the work we're doing on that glade, after our life is gone, the benefit is still, the the hard work we did on the glade restoration is somebody else is still benefiting. Well... An animal is still benefiting. A lizard is still benefiting. The land overall is still benefiting. Us shooting a big deer, when uh, when our heart beats for the last time, nobody's going to even care. Or remember. Nor yeah. Unless there's a deer head on somebody's wall. Say if that was an area and we just went in there and like hinge cut a bedding area down there. In five years. All that was for naught. It's gone. It's gone. In five years, if you go into an area and you hinge cut, 
let's say you take an an acre and you go in and you hinge cut it. In five years, you're either back to all you did was lower the canopy, but it's still closed canopy. But instead of being 60 foot up at the top of mature trees, it's now 15 foot tall at the top of your hinge trees. And so you're either going to have to cut them again or figure out a way to bring it back down and make it more productive. But the glade is one of those things that if we go in and we cut all these cedars off, it's going to take a, if we walked away, it's going to take a while before it to get worse. Well, because here's the thing. There were, I mean, we, we knew that it was, I mean, we've called it Glady Ridge for as long as I've ever been there. Yeah. Because there's Glady pockets all over it. Yeah. Those things, who knows how long it had been before, since anybody had done anything. Since a fire had went through there, there's no telling how long it had been. And it was still there. It's still there. And it makes you wonder how long can those plants lay underneath underneath cedar trees before they start growing again. That's kind of one. We, we talked about it yesterday. I was talking about some of our endangered plants or some of them that are considered extinct. And it's like I was, I was telling you yesterday, I'd heard the story of Mead's milkweed. Yeah. That's one of our endangered that I was reading a story that it, it the last known location that it occurred was in the Bell Mountain Wilderness. I think that's the name of it. Where's that at? It's in, I think it's on the Potosi Frederick town. It's somewhere up like southeast of, or southwest so it's in Missouri. of St. Louis. Yeah, it's in Missouri. Okay. It's another one of our wildernesses that no management, because of the wilderness, we can't do anything. The last known location of it was in a glade on the Bell Mountain Wilderness and the last time they checked on it, it was very close to be encroached by cedar. And they expected it was gone. Mm. But, sucks. but it's a perennial plant. We've seen in this restoration, it kind of makes you wonder what would happen in some of these areas if we went in and cut the cedar out and started fire again. That's right. That's what we're going to find and, out. And what kind of plants that come back that we thought for... Well, Bald- Baldwin's milk vine is a classic example. Yeah. It's not as rare as Mead's milkweed, but it's still not that common. It was so uncommon that we didn't know what it was. We'd never seen it before. And then when we looked it up on, I think it was the USDA site, it had never been registered in our county. Yeah. And that's that's where it really excites me on this glade restoration to cut it out and start burning to see what comes in. That's right. It's, we don't it's know. It's a forgotten glade. This this glade is very hard to get to. It's if or we, I guess it's difficult to get to, and yet because of that, it hasn't been overgrazed, and it hasn't been turned into food plot or turned into crop, or it hadn't been over harvested. There was a house place on that ridge. Yeah, back when house places didn't have electricity and they built them everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's the so. only thing on that ridge that we know of. But So what do, you, what, do you, what do you have to say? We're not trying to do a long podcast here because it is hunting season and we've already got – we're worn down on, on grinding these out on travel. But what would you say to somebody who's weighing the options of how to manage their property? Mm. To me, I would say, for the guys, we talked about a little bit earlier, but when it comes to native habitat restoration, this is the kind of stuff that glade restorations or maybe they're woodland restorations or savanna restoration, 
This is the kind of stuff that will create fun, create enjoyment. Even we had a blast cutting cedars off that glade when it was 105 heat index that day because what we were doing was meaningful. It's meaningful management. It's not must-kill management. Well, uh, of kill tr- the, kill predators, kill this, kill that, manage deer, kill kill deer numbers. This is meaningful management. That just like I said earlier, twenty years from now, our work is still going to be shown. Here's here's the other side of it too. Now we we said one acre qualified. Yep. I think if we'd have walked around on it with them, I would think more would qualify. But yeah, we got paid to do. The one acre of restoration. Yep. Rather than spending the money on seed, gas, equipment, everything else to put a food plot in, they paid us to go in and run a chainsaw on the thing. That's right. And, I mean, they would pay us again to burn it. We, I mean, we can get cost share money for all of that and have long, long-lasting benefits compared to something that might benefit us for a year or two. That's right. Well, hopefully, and not only benefit us from plant communities and all the benefits to the land, but creates a heck of a bedding area for fall and winter. <laughs> and it makes our hunting a whole lot better. And so not only are we winning from the land side, but we're winning from the hunting side too. So, Well, and here's the, here's the other part of it too. We yeah. just started with this. Yeah. The, we're a year and a half into The possibilities, say, five years down the line of – cutting and and getting a burn rotation in there what is going to come in and like our neotropical birds and stuff like that that it's like all of a sudden oh i saw this this time i saw this this time that's right well hopefully you guys enjoyed it be sure to go check out our youtube channel Um, we've been putting a lot of videos on there a couple every week we really need to do one down there on the glade oh yeah talked about it absolutely uh we might have to do that before this fall is over because you know that there, you're going to see a lot of hunts on our on our videos, but you're also going to see a lot of videos on land, uh, habitat improvement. Shoot, we just put one up there on fishing uh, and private lake and pond management. So a lot of stuff going on. Please, please, please go to our YouTube channel, Land and Legacy, and subscribe. Guys, thanks for joining us this week. Next week, you're probably going to hear some hunt stories, but we can't promise you that. Uh, Who knows where we'll be, but until then, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. Yep.